Now, let me uh, say uh, first and foremost that uh, I believe this is important because in our day there is a shift away from attendance at church. <clears throat> I believe that there are many who are caught in the grips of what is happening worldwide and one of the downsides of this, one of the sad aftermaths of this is that there are God's people who are no longer coming to church and there is an attrition rate in churches and we have heard about them. I especially have noted that in our own denomination and how it has afflicted our denomination and particularly the individual churches of it. And some in particular that have in these last several years since the start of this pandemic have closed their doors. <clears throat> and there are other factors that must be considered, but this is nevertheless one of the factors. And so I've entitled this message, Come to Church. Come to Church Instead of Stay Home. And uh, on, on the side note, uh, what has uh, hit us uh, in terms of uh, these infections and diseases are not to be an excuse, as it were, because it's, it's known that they do not have to keep us from meeting. In fact, I think the proof is in our having met without masks, and even without, well, I won't say social distancing, but, you know, without uh, that type of social distancing that was advocated, such as what is even advocated in the Bible for leprosy, six feet. But none of us have leprosy. And as we noted, I think even recently, that that disease is definitely on the incline, decline, sorry. <laughs> and so come to church, and there are five things to consider with regard to coming to church, according to our psalm before us, Psalm 122. And the first is to come with glad anticipation. I don't know about you, but I am always glad to come here to be with you, and especially to worship with you, the Lord our God. I was glad, said the psalmist, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. We live in a hostile world, don't we? Where the church has many enemies, but in the church, we are amongst friends. And there we may be spiritually refreshed and built up in the faith. Stephen Lawson said, eager joy should always fill the hearts of God's people as they make their way into God's house. In the company of like-minded worshipers, their hungry souls are satisfied as they sit under the exposition of Scripture. Word-inspired worship is never a drudgery, but a delight, never a burden, but The Lord is at the Father's right hand. And until we, glory, until we go to glory and see Christ face to face, the gathered church is the next best thing. In Colossians 1, 27, to whom God 
would make known what is the riches of his glory, of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And what is that? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, in you, in you, in me, the hope of glory. That is the riches of glory revealed in us and a mystery to the world. You know, in the old days, we used to send out uh, tapes to those missing in action, we would say, meaning missing from church. And for those that moved away, it was especially hard, as some who have moved away have noted and have shared with us, who don't have a solid church to go to, and may I say a solid Reformed church to go to. Maybe they've settled for less, and I don't uh, speak that in any way uh, despairingly of, of, of those churches. By any means, they are where they are by the grace of God. But nevertheless, for what we have enjoyed, for the venue that, that we have uh, delighted in, like in our Thanksgiving dinner, uh, they don't have it. And, well, when you do have it, take advantage of it. Secondly, come to God's house. Psalm 122 is one of the psalm, psalms that pilgrims would sing as they would make their way to Jerusalem, to the temple, or even before that, to the tabernacle. And upon their arriving at Jerusalem for the great festivals or feasts of Passover, unleavened bread, and tabernacles, they would glory in God and they would revel in the fellowship of the saints. They weren't vacationers or sightseers or even highly motivated people of faith that did their thing in the church, but the church was it. It was their reason, their end all for being there. And it was decreed that they make these annual pilgrimages and they did so gladly. As our psalm begins, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. With optimism, we will get there. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. We anticipate that nothing is going to stop us. Not even thieves and robbers that would oftentimes be in lurking in dark places waiting to steal from you. We will, with optimism, get there because Jerusalem is such a beautiful city. The church is such a beautiful place, according to God and according to these saints. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together compact together. Yes, compact, like solid. Those city fortresses that were made in those days were complete cities, complete towns and cities in which the people lived and were protected. They maximized everything there, the space and they did so in such a way that it would appeal to the eye. 
but moreover to the heart of God's people, knowing that God is our defender and our defense in the day of trouble. Not that the meeting place is the most important thing. You know, they lived in tents before that, didn't they? Did they not? And God took care of them then. And that was good for the time. But then the Lord deemed that they would have a more permanent place. And that eventually came, though not right away. Our church in some ways parallels in its history the church of Israel, the church of the Old Covenant, and that we were going from place to place in rented facilities, even here, even in the wilderness of the park where we would meet for a time when we didn't have a place where to go. Trinity Church is a beautiful facility for us, and we are thankful for it. Praise God. We thank God for a place to wor worship, whether we tent or building. Right? I think this experience has taught us a lot in terms of godliness with contentment and how that is great gain. But our heavenly church will exceed them all. We have a feeling of security, according to verse 2 of our passage in Psalm 122 our feet shall stand within thy gates O Jerusalem within thy gates meaning inside the gates away from the enemies that are without verse 7 also of Psalm 122 peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces notice that how we are taken care of. We are protected. There's nothing that feels more safe than solid. I don't know how thick those walls were, but I'm sure they were very thick. But yet it is not that so much as God who is our shelter. God who is our protector. God who is our, our house. And also it's government. It's godly government. In verse 5, it speaks about how there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. This is speaking about how God has established government in his church. There's government in, in countries. We know all about that. But also in the church. Sometimes that we wonder if some churches don't have government. And why is that important? Because of order. That all things be done decently and in order. In 2 Samuel 7, 16, it says what? 2 Samuel 7, 16, and I'm going to use my Bible even though I have all my verses written out here because some verses are, are important to point out and, and that you would use your sword, which is, of course, your, 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 your Bible. In 2 Samuel 7, Verse 16, it reads, And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. God will establish his church, whether it's meeting in a tabernacle or a tent, as it was for who knows how long that was, in the wilderness and even after, before the building of the temple or the temple 
And all this to picture the kingdom of Christ. As our Lord, would, as it was said by one of the Lord in his nativity in Luke 1, 32 and 33. Luke 1, 32 and 33. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give him, unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. His kingdom, not David's, but Christ. Not David, the son of Jesse but the greater David, the Son of God. His kingdom shall have no end. In Revelation 11, it talks about his kingdom and how his kingdom compares to the rest. When John notes, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now, it doesn't look that way, does it? The way things are moving along at a snail's pace, at least in our generation, we wonder when will this kingdom manifest itself? Well, it has. But when will all of this that we're reading about be fulfilled? It will, but be patient. Be patient and wait upon the Lord. Jesus rules his kingdom and his citizens are safely under his care. It's unity. Verse 3 of our passage in Psalm 122. Going back to it. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together. Whether the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, unto the testimony of Israel. The tribes, they all are on this migration, as it were, on this ascent up to Jerusalem, which is elevated above where most of them live. And they did this once a year. And they went up together. The unity of the 12 tribes resulted from their common loyalty to their Lord. And that's what always unites the church throughout history, and that is the Lord. Not our particular distinctives and what we preach, as much as that is important, but the Lord. The Lord is the one who is our identity. He is the head. We are the body. <clears throat> it is our like precious faith in Christ that identifies us as the people of God. As someone said, the book, the blood, and the blessed hope, that is the return of Jesus. Washed by the blood of the Lamb in 4.8 of Psalm 122. Whether the tribes go up tribes of the Lord unto the testimony of 
Israel. The testimony of Israel. The Ark of the Covenant. Did you remember from your history of what they carried with them through the wilderness? They had this picture of an ark. And it was called the Ark of the Covenant. And it is symbolizing Cal Calvary. And Jesus' empty tomb. The work of Messiah. The work of Christ. In Exodus 25, 22, for example talks about this. And so turn to it. Exodus 25. And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims that are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of of Israel. Notice, I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat. The mercy seat. That is where you have the two angels that are hovering or have their wings over this mercy seat that is representative of Calvary's cross. Seeing then we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. This high priest is the one who offers this sacrifice, even of himself, who is without sin, that he might reconcile us unto God. And this is why this was so significant, this testimony of Israel. This was not just testimony as we think of it, uh, someone giving their testimony. This is speaking of that, of that mercy seat where God meets with his people in the work of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And where God's people go, as it were, through the representative high priest every year to meet with God to worship the triune and covenant God. As it says in, in verse 4, to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. And that's just not the high priest, but all of God's people who are led by that high priest who is representative of our great high priest, Jesus Christ. Notice the name of the Lord, the Lord our God, Yahweh Elohim. That's the complete name of God according to verse 9 of, of Psalm 122. If I can get back to, to that, Psalm 122. Whether the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, unto the testimony of Israel, to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. The Lord our God, verse 9, Yahweh Elohim, to come to pray for the peace and prosperity of God's house. That's one of the motivations for our worship is to pray, is it not? And to pray for things that are particularly, singularly important to our lives. 
peace is absolutely necessary for us to be able to function as human beings. Otherwise, we'll go crazy and we'll be on the street as demented people. And do we see this around us today? Of course. And should we be praying for them? Indeed. But let's begin to pray for ourselves, for those who already belong unto the city of our God and who love the city of God, the ones who love the church and pray for the church and be assured that God will hear and will prosper that one and the church for which he prays. Peace and prosperity because of Calvary, most of all. That's the key. That's the link. That's what connects us with God. That's what makes our prayers efficacious, <clears throat> heard it all on high. Peace will reign in God's kingdom because its king is the king of peace. Malak Shalom, which means king of peace. That's where the name Melchizedek comes from. Notice in verses 6 and 7, peace within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. Imagine if we were in this small, self-contained city and there was not peace and there was not unity and we're starving. Were there ever any incidents in the history of Israel when that happened? Yes, indeed. And they were surrounded by enemies. And they were at their wit's end, and they were pulling the hair out, as it were. And yet, when they composed themselves, and, they, and when they called out to God through their leadership, in, this, in one instance, Hezekiah, the king of Israel, and his prophet at that time, God heard and answered marvelously. And where were, where were the enemies that next morning? Either decapitated or out of sight. The Lord does prosper his people. The Lord cares for his people. He wants peace and prosperity, especially because of Calvary. Because Jesus loves his church. He loves you and me who are his church. And he shows this, evidences this, demonstrates this, manifests this, by his death on the cross. He brings peace by the blood of his cross. We are reconciled to God through the cross. Not something that we wear as a medallion on our shirt or see on some steeple of a church, but the work of Christ on Calvary. Paul says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. That's the first peace we need. I mean, granted, we want that inner peace, do we not? Who doesn't? Who, who doesn't want to have his fears uh, quelled and, and his soul calmed and uh, his uh, household in, in order and in, in, a, in a safe place with his family? But you see, if, if God is against you, because you have not made peace through the blood of the cross, you have not made peace through the gospel of Jesus Christ, then God is at war with you. And maybe for a time, you're going to have the amenities of life to, to uh, 
to, to soften the blow, as it were, until such time as they're taken from you. But when they're taken from you, oh, you wish that you could turn back the clock. You wish that you could redo your steps like that rich man in that parable. I question whether it was a parable. It doesn't say it's a parable, but the rich man in Lazarus, how he wished that he had it to do all over again, but it's too late. We are reconciled to one another by the cross. Picture again that, uh, that Jerusalem with its uh, strong reinforcing walls to protect it against enemies. They could still climb over it, by the way. They could still shoot arrows and throw spears over it, right? Even fiery, whatever those things are that they launch in there to try to burn up the inside. But for the most part, they're, they're safe. But, but you know what? Without the Lord's work in your heart, we would be at each other's throats before you know it. We would be unhappy campers, as is so often the case when we are left to ourselves. It's just like little children that are left to themselves. You ever stepped out of the house like to, maybe you had a laundromat outside of your house and, and, and you told the kids, okay, behave yourselves. And when you come back, it's like chaos. That's how we are. That's how, I'll speak for myself, my upbringing, that's how we were. Both parents working, raised by babysitters. I mean, we, we, uh, ooh, I don't even want to get into that. <laughs> but by the grace of God, we are saved from our sins. That's all I can say. That's all I can say, and, and it's enough, because it's everything, because Christ is Lord, and is Lord over my life, and over the lives of my family. It says, we are reconciled to one another by the cross, according to the reference here, Romans chapter um, Ooh, I think I will just have to quote this to you and then give you the scriptures later. I, ooh, I'll read it. Aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise. This is us having no hope without God in the world. That's how we all started, right? But now in Christ Jesus, you were sometimes or at one time Far off, way out there in the boondocks, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. Remember? Peace with God. That's the first peace we need. Not peace within, because you can have peace within, but if you don't have peace with God, that's short-lived. You want that inner peace that is based upon that outer peace that you have because you know your sins have been put to death and are as far away from, from the Father as the East is from the West. Uh, are as far away as, uh, as is described by Isaiah as something that is put into a, a duffel bag and thrown in, overboard into the depths of the sea and remembered no more. That's how it is when you're in Christ. That is because of him, his blood that makes you near to God. 
for he is our peace. The writer to Colossians goes on to say, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us and God, and that he might reconcile both unto God by in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And it doesn't matter what differentiates us, whether we're of one nationality or another, Jew or Greek, whether we're of one station in life or another, bond or free, that means you're a slave of someone, and slavery was very common, by the way. And it was accepted, because uh, this, there were different kinds of slaves. But the kind of slave that is oftentimes talked about is the one who is indentured to someone who is a believer, and who took care of that one who was a slave, just like his own son or daughter. It's like some, even in our own nation's history, that uh, had that very close intimacy, even though those underneath the master were slaves. And yet afterwards they remained friends, and even remained as a household. And I won't get into that, but, but this is what also happened back then. For ye are all one in Christ, says the writer Paul. Peace and prosperity by one spirit. For the kingdom of God is not meat or drink. It's not what we eat or what we drink. It's not in terms of these tangible things that, that separate us, that make us uh, different and, and, and make us unique uh, in terms of our individuality. But what is common to all of God's people, and that is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And we come to be blessed. It says in verse 8, For my brethren and companions' sake, I will now say, Peace be within thee. We come to the house of the Lord to be blessed. We don't come here for really any other prominent reason than, than that, and that is that we want the blessing of the Lord, right? We're not coming here out of duty. I, I, I pray that that's not why you're coming here, that you have to be here. I remember going to church where I had to be there. Yes, I, I wanted to be there, but you know what? I eventually left that after I grew older because I saw that I was not being fed. I was not being taught Christ. I was being taught how to do this and that and the other thing and how to be religious. But I wasn't taught about redemption, about how only Christ can save me and bring me to the Father. And that by His Spirit, I can become transformed and made a new creation in Christ. That's what I needed to hear. That's what I began to hear later on in my life. And I clung to that. And I clung to those churches that were faithful in setting forth Christ in that way. For my brethren and companions' sake, I will now say, Peace be within thee. Come to be blessed. Come to be blessed. And to bless one another. Even say to your enemies, You can also be a friend. Not just of, of, of us, but a friend of Christ. And so we love our enemies. See, we give the gospel out of a motivation to, to see them saved and become friends of God who are enemies of God and to experience what 
our Lord says, when he says, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. We are to bless them. But how much more our friends, those that we have come to know in Christ. And so David makes the statement in verse 8, For my brethren and companions' sakes, those are God's people, I will now say, peace be within thee. More than anything else, more than even peace with the world or peace with those that are in the world that we are seeking to be a witness to, is the peace that we maintain in the body of Christ. It's one of those things that, that we are called upon to pursue, actively pursue, and to work at. And not division, and not separation, and not doing our own thing, and not trying to be uh, the top of the totem pole, you know, the totem pole with. Christ says to be the bottom of the totem pole. Christ says, uh, that we are to, to serve others and not to be served. He came not that we that he might be served, as it were, but did I say that right? He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. How's that? And what do you think his order is for us? And it's a tall one to do the same. Because we are family. Even more than our physical kith and kin, when they're not Christians, that is, of course. And we'll be spending eternity with one another. Imagine that. So we better get used to each other now, right? <laughs> I, I'm being facetious when I say that. Can we not also bid one another go in peace? Do you ever do that? Do you ever tell someone go in peace? Not just the pastor telling the congregation this at the end of the uh, service. In the, in the, in the uh, benediction, but to each other, go in peace. This is a very common thing to say, peace be within thee, peace be within thy walls and prosperity in thy palaces, O Jerusalem. And come to be blessed, finally. This is the, the main reason, is that we come to the house of God to be blessed. Who doesn't want to be blessed? Are you coming here out of a sheer stoicism, like, I have to do this? If it is, if legalism is what, is what is compelling you to be here, then leave, because you're really not here anyway. <laughs> and we need to always work at, at this, because it's so easy to be legalistic, to be formalistic. To be, imagine being formal with people that you've been with for so long and have uh, gone through so many things with in, in life. I mean, I've probably spent more time with you than all my relatives put together. <laughs> and I don't regret a single day of it. Now I have to turn my attention to them in the next month, by the way. And this is a matter of prayer because I have vowed to myself, by the grace of God, to witness to every one of the people I meet back in the Philippines, especially the older ones. By hook or by crook. <laughs> Pray for that. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. We're coming to the end here. Come to be blessed, and come to be a blessing. 
If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife and vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. That's hard. It's impossible. And yet God calls us to do the impossible, does he not? Look that every man on his own things. Oh my, <laughs> isn't that how we are? But rather every man also, also, you don't, you don't neglect your, your, your household, okay? You don't neglect your spiritual life by no means. But look, notice what he says, but every man also on the things of others. You've got to make room. You've got to make time. Because we're not in this world for very long. And if you can leave some blessing to somebody, or even more, why not? Right? What is this life for after all? Why are we here? I know our uh, Westminster Confession of Faith says the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. But May I say, we glorify God and enjoy Him forever in the fellowship of the saints, in the ministry to the people of God, and to others beyond, not knowing whether or not the terrors of today might become the wheat of tomorrow. And they do. And until the Lord comes back, they will continue to be coming this way. And so, are we ready for them? By being ready in ourselves, by being ready one with another, by being ready and giving the gospel and wanting to see the lost saved before they perish in their sins and are gone forever from our sight and from our lives. And especially those that are nearest and dearest to us in this life because they are our flesh and blood. There's a, a, a song, it's um, I entitled it, Christians, The Christian's Love. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that our unity will one day be restored. And they will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yea, they will know that we are Christians by our love. Notice I didn't sing it to you. In conclusion, summary, let us welcome this day in which we come to the house of the Lord. And let God's house let us make our way. In other words, the house of the Lord is the end all. The house of the Lord is like heaven on earth. Because think about this, we're going to be in heaven together. Oh, wow, you're saying, you're thinking to yourself, is that what I want? <laughs> no, we're not going to be like we are. We'll be like He is. And, you, and therefore we will be perfect and without sin. And so the things that are intolerable and, you know, things that uh, uh, rub against the grain of one another, don't worry about that. God has that all covered. But the test is right now as to where we are with regard to what God has already done and the need for patience and, for, and long-suffering and forbearance and love in all of our ways. And we need to pray for the peace and prosperity of God's house and not just ourselves, for ourselves, our families, for one another, and for other churches, and for other of God's people, even throughout the world. 
we need to have this global view of what God is doing. There's, they're, they're, they're wanting to change foreign missions to global missions. And I can understand why. I can understand why. Because the world is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and they that dwell therein. And that is because he made it. And he made us. And so, peace be with you on this start of what we are commemorating as the incarnation of our Lord or the birth of the Son of God. Peace be with you, especially you who are the house of God, not just in the house of God. You are his house and me. And I'll end with one scripture, which John says in his second epistle, having many things to write to you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. You see, John didn't have the luxury of in-house fellowship. He was already at that point in the history of the church where they were under great persecution. And he was one of the last ones, uh, like Custard's last stand, he was one of the last ones. And he was exiled to an island of Patmos. But he did his best to show up at these house churches. That was about the best they could do. They, they didn't have the luxury of, of, of this. This is a blessing. Be thankful that we have this even to rent here. But anyway, this is what he said. And what is this? That the very thing that we sometimes take for granted are the things that he cherished. That face-to-face -face fellowship. The only way you can have that is by actually being together and coming together. And this he endeavored to do to his last breath. And he glorified God. And he blessed many. And he helped to unite the church instead of to divide the body of Christ. Oh, that we may be this way that our joy may be full. Shall we pray? Oh, Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage of your word, this song that is a glorious song, is a song of joy as the people of God came from their very towns and villages and cities and made their way to Jerusalem. They would sing this as they would ascend up to the city of the great king. Oh Lord, how we too praise you this day for being in that very house of the Lord. And do pray for our brethren that are not here. And pray for those especially that have not been here or cannot be here. Such as Marie Metals. And others, Lord, who have moved away. And some, Lord, are even not going to any church as of yet. And so we lift them all up to you. And we thank you at the same time once again for your blessing to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's now turn to our last closing hymn, 147, shall we instead as we sing together.